Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world giving back to us. This is Mike Berg. I'm here with Wade, and we are in the studio for another session of the life and thought of Martin Luther, our Winging It series that started uh, well over a year ago, slowly going through the life of Martin Luther. We've made it to 1529, and today's uh, session is going to primarily f- focus on the second diet of Spire of 1529. Um, just to give us an historical background here, um, in 1526, we had a diet of Spire, and just as a, a review, a diet is kind of like a moving Congress. So the the empire, the Roman, uh, Holy Roman Empire, ruled by Charles V, the emperor, um, was not really an empire, but it had uh, many moving parts politically, and there were meetings that would happen, much like the United States may have the 108th Congress. These diets would go from, could be at, in, in different towns, you famously the Diet of Worms and the diet, a couple diets uh, in Augsburg. The first Diet of Spire is important to us primarily because at the Diet, this first Diet of Spire, Charles V had, um, was represented by his brother, Archduke Ferdinand. Ferdinand was in charge of basically keeping the, uh, the Turks out of European soil, right? So they have the Turkish threat getting as close. Really keeping them from getting further onto That's European true. soil. That's yeah. um, true, into what we would call today uh, Central and then Western Europe. Already really in Central Europe, yeah. what we would call today. Um, and this is, a, as we have mentioned before, a huge existential threat. And so Ferdinand uh, was probably willing to deal a little bit more because he needed troops from territories that had been uh, evangelically minded, ones that were following Martin Luther. In 1526, it was decided to not enforce the Edict of Worms. The Edict of Worms was uh, that anybody, Martin Luther and anybody who would uh, follow Martin Luther to put it uh, very uh, simply, um, was technically not only a heretic, but an outlaw. That was relaxed, and there was this idea that the the leader, the prince of a principality, the elector of this territory, whatever, whatever religion he was, then his territory could be that, that religion. And basically, it was to make nice so that there could be uh, a strong uh, European uh, front against the Turkish threat in the east. Um, so during these three year per- this three-year period between 1526, the first Diet of Spire, and 1529, the second Diet of Spire, Lutheranism really is going to start to be um, a a kind of a thing, like with some administration uh, backing it up, um, uh, catechisms, visitations to churches, uh, politics going on um, um, in, in the background, this kind of stuff. The other thing that has changed is that uh, Suleiman, the Magnificent, who is leading the Turks, has surrounded Vienna and has had some large, um, um, let's say, uh, successes in, in militarily there. He is eventually going to um, falter, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. This makes perhaps Ferdinand uh, a little bit ticked off at the Lutheran princes, maybe even blaming them, maybe even saying, and I think he did say this, that God is punishing us 
for this heresy, this evangelical Lutheran, whatever you want to call it at that time, that heresy. Um, maybe one more uh, historical thing is uh, Charles V has, uh, is fighting in Italy against the French and has at this point been fairly successful. So at the first Diet of Spire, Charles V is probably a little bit more hard-nosed toward, or wants to be more hard-nosed to the um, uh, to the to the Lutheran, those who are sympathetic to to Martin Luther, where Ferdinand is ready to deal. Probably the flip side yeah. now, Charles V is a little bit more ready to deal. Maybe coming off these successes, um, there is a message that is to get to Ferdinand that says kind of changes maybe that would have changed the tone kind of, of the diet. Kind of chill a bit, yeah. And it doesn't get there in time. And, and you can understand Ferdinand's probably hot under the collar here a little bit. Um, uh, he has not been successful militarily. And so at the diet— And he, I mean, once again, <clears throat> I don't think we can stress enough, the Habsburgs really do see themselves as defenders of the Roman yep. Catholic Church. We hit on last time when we talked with Speyer— we have to understand things to us might be rich with irony. For instance, Charles is defending the Catholic Church, but his troops sack Rome. Mm-hmm. Right? That you're like, what's up with that? Or the French in Christian Europe have no problem maybe playing footsie with the the Turks at times right. because their enemy, the Habsburg, who's who's my bigger enemy right now? Yeah. Right. And so I mean, Ferdinand and Charles and, and Mike, you mentioned um, when we, uh, not in recording, but just us talking. That Charles really deserves his own session at some point, which we should give him. <clears throat> but, um, I mean, Charles seems to be a devout person. Uh, the, the family would have seen themselves as um, faithful sons of Rome, right? And so, um, you know, Ferdinand is, as you kind of mentioned, Mike, he is shocked by how much um, things have progressed in the Protestant territories um, in a direction not of reconciliation with Rome, but towards the kind of solidification of division. Um, and so, yeah, I think he's flustered militarily. He's supposed to be coming to the throne, <coughs> excuse me, um, in Hungary as uh, he's the brother-in-law of, I think it was Louis who had died um, as the uh, yep. the Turks invaded. He doesn't get all of Hungary like he was supposed to. Hungary basically gets divided into three parts. Um, Suleiman is going to support a rival um, to uh um, to Ferdinand, and so he doesn't have what he feel is, feels is rightly his uh, as far as territory. He is, uh, it would appear, outmanned, and things aren't looking good militarily. And as a, uh, a son of Rome, I mean, not from Rome, but hopefully you understand what I mean by mm-hmm. that, uh, he sees, uh, I mean, Protestantism, and we'll get to that term Protestantism, it, you know, uh, has really been entrenching itself. And so there's a lot of concerns on a lot of different sides, but I like how you put that, that things kind of flipped um, from probably the evangelicals getting more out of Ferdinand than they would have got out of Charles for sure at the first one in Mm -hmm. 1526 to now um, Charles probably being somewhat disappointed when he heard how this Mm -hmm. went down in the hard line that Ferdinand Mm -hmm. had taken here, which is so interesting because it's, it it kind of runs contrary to his military interests. Yeah. And, I don't think we we certainly don't appreciate without some serious um, study on this, and even then, you know, Ferdinand. This is probably per, this is personal for Ferdinand. It's not like he is always going. I mean, 
what two leaders or two brothers are going to be always on the same page, right? right? And they are spread out. You don't, you don't, you can't sit down and have a phone conversation with somebody. Charles has been has been occupied by something very important in Italy. And there's and probably, to be fair, tensions between them. Yep. Um, yep. A just who, no one. If you're growing up in a family of boys, everyone wants to be Charles, not Ferdinand, mm-hmm. right? Ferdinand's still a very powerful man. Until you become Charles, 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 and then you don't want to be Charles. But anymore. secondly, yeah. and I'm, but this is why right. I interrupted, and I apologize for interrupting. Right. Um, secondly, you mentioned all the successes Charles just had militarily. Well, where are they all happening? Right. In the West, in the South, right. not. Where Ferdinand desperately needs help. Sorry, go ahead. And, and that's what I was leading to. I, I have to imagine that Ferdinand wants to, at times, you know, again, we, without knowing, you know, take Charles by the lapels and be like, we're, we're dying over here. Right. What are you oh, doing? you scored some points against right. France. Isn't that right. nice? I'm trying to save Europe. <laughs> I'm trying to save humanity, and you are playing in Rome. Yes, thank you. So I, I it, it's just much more complicated than we than we always give it credit for. And, and what's, of course, interesting is then you have Luther, who is it's black and white. It's about the truth or not the truth, uh, theologically, where now we're going to start to see Philip of Hesse playing. He is playing politics here. Um, I... Uh, Kittleson entitles this little section high politics, right? Like all of a sudden we're in, we're into some, some pretty serious stuff. And just to give the scope of this, um, this would today be like um, the Pope, the prime minister of England, the president of the United States, the European union and the, you know, Israel and someone from I mean this is like all the major players right. of geopolitics in the Western Hemisphere um, are at play here, you know, and and you can just sense this 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 loudmouth monk <laughs> right in Germany has caused a lot of this problem right, right? and and the political rulers on the Protestant side uh, as political leaders are want to do see this new movement that he has given birth to and what do politicians do when they see new movements developing they're going to grab onto they want to be at the head of the pack and and philip of hesse especially Mm -hmm. is going to be trying to think five steps ahead in his own interest as you mentioned with zwingli and others and so luther i believe writes something about this right i believe there's a book that comes too late for the diet of spire Uh, but he's going to put his two cents in but like Kittleson, uh, his title, this is high politics here. This is, this is big boy stuff. And um, so at the Diet of Spire, um, things are going to be taken back from, the, we sh- from these estates, these Lutheran-leaning estates. And there is going to be an official protest to that, so, which would have been a legal thing, right? It's not like uh, this is— Think uh, of a, the Supreme Court gives a ruling, and then the, there's the— um, Dissenting judges dissenting, yeah. also issue a statement. And that statement still can serve as legal precedent in yep. very much shape yep. um, future rulings. So this was not this was not uh, um, mobbish. This wasn't people being babies. This was an official kind of this. This means something right here. This slows down the process, even if a little bit. This is we are on the record right now. Right now, immediately, Philip of the Hesse is already going to starting to uh, uh, 
starting to think about the future, right? And we'll get to that in a second where he's already starting to think, okay, the radical reformers, we'll call them radical reformers right now, and the ones leaning Lutheran, what would later be called Lutherans, we need to have a, um, a solidified front against... The, the Swiss reformers. You Swiss think? reformers, probably a better way to put it, yeah. Well, yeah, because I, I mean, some of them were more... Luther you're considers right, them all right. radical. I just saw that we're not getting... Yep, we're not right. talking Anabaptists. And... and yeah. um, but they are radical in yeah, Luther's and, view. And a good way to say it is more of a political way than a theological way on top of that, too. Swiss reformers and the Wittenbergers probably is a better way to say it. Um, and he's going to try to light up what's going to become come later that um, year, the Marburg quality. One thing to, to mention before I forget is you still have this promise that has been dangled in front of the, uh, the reformers, and that is we will have a church council someday. Uh, next year, let's kick this till next and, and year. And they really, I mean, there are some people involved who really do think next yep. year might happen. Yep. And you can understand, like, uh, we don't have time for the theologians to do this. We have, again, existential threats. We have some serious politicking to do here. We have wars on multiple think, fronts. Think the American setting right now. Um, I think you have a very similar thing you could play out you have a new administration you have a new congress you have covid you have the trial of an impeached president who's now not in office um you have uh the first hundred days agenda mm -hmm. that that person is trying to um the new administration wants to get through and then you have very real um military china's like flying more and more over mm -hmm. taiwan mm -hmm. north korea is testing missiles um, the Iranians, right? So you have uh, a lot going on at once. And so you can have people who can say, just like we would say now, yeah, we understand that the new administration wants this and that, but COVID is the pressing right. thing right now. Or you could have a Mitch McConnell who says, um, you know what? We're not going to divide up the day when we're doing this impeachment trial. If we're doing the trial, we're going to do the trial, mm -hmm. which prevents other, right? You have... Um, a chess game mm -hmm. being played. And as as I think you put well, Mike, um, just as people might say, we have to focus on COVID, not the other stuff, you have people who are saying we have to focus on the Turks. Or yep. you have people who think we have to focus on uh, these Protestant territories or, you know, Charles V with his own concerns. <clears throat> so, um, I mean, a lot of comparisons, I would say, to the things we see happening. Here yeah, I was, I was thinking about that the, and have recently more often than not of – especially since COVID-19, but also stuff like stuff just completely evaporated from the news. Like I'm pretty sure <laughs> they put out the fires in Australia. Right. Um, you don't hear about. I hope so. Yeah. There, there are big. Or koalas. There, yeah, there are important and things that dominated our thought that just went away like that. I, I remember in the first uh, years of the Bush administration, uh, a very big decision that he made was no more research on exit. Um, Stem on cells. new Field lines, new lines, and whatever. That was big news until 9-11. You never heard about it again. Yeah. But that somebody's been thinking about that. Somebody's thinking about environmental concerns. Somebody's thinking about these things. And so I'm glad you put that up, that Luther's thinking about this. Philip's thinking about this. Ferdinand's thinking about this. Charles's thinking about this. Who, you know, Henry VIII's got his own thing going on. The Pope has his own thing going on. So you could understand the powers to be saying, 
okay, the Lutheran question, that's next year. That's and, next year. Right. That's next year. And you can understand Ferdinand saying, as you hit on earlier as well, the Lutheran question isn't divorced from this. If we're if we as Christendom are gonna fight off the Turks, how can we do it as a divided? Yep. Chris, so you have people right that see the two as one and part yep. and parcel of the same issue. You have others who see it as as um, two separate issues. And and uh, Ferdinand could very easily say and did say, you know, this is this is punishment. Um, you know that clearly the Turkish um, success is punishment. Where Luther then is going to say, you really want to do something for Luther, Luther for uh, for for Christianity, for Christendom, then fix your problem. You know, right. so and let's preach the gospel. Maybe the Turks will come right. to faith. And so this is, of course, always a threat that we read the signs in the times, and it just happens to back my political agenda. Right? right? Um, you had sent me. I think it was you that sent me a meme of of Vice President Harris wearing purple. Oh. Or, <laughs> Someone had shared that from Revelation, yeah. Yes, that, that, that clearly, right. You get, I mean, and, and when I was a vicar, I remember people, uh, a, a nice old comp- couple that was decent people, like successful, very successful, down-to-earth people. And, I mean, you know, the, 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 the locust in Joel was, cons- yeah. was, was, the, was this, and Saddam Hussein was that. Well, it was Saddam Hussein because it was 2003, you know, but, um, if it was 1970, whatever, it would have been somebody else, you know? So that, that's, that's, that eschatological, uh, bent is, it's always dangerous. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, uh, you have the promise of a, a coming council. So, um, you have the, okay. Taking away the concessions or at least the ending the recess, uh, that had been, began with the 1526 diet of spire kind of left things out they yeah. gave wiggle room there was there was enough we're not going to we're not going to um uh take the diet of worms the edict of worms seriously we're not going to act on that that is taken away and then you have this uh protestant uh, literally a protest so and, and maybe with the <coughs> recess maybe just briefly a way to think about that too is um sometimes the in American governance, right? An administration will decide mm-hmm. not yeah. to change the law, but just not to enforce it, right? We are not gonna. We are not going to uh, no longer arrest people for small marijuana. And, and this was yeah. one that right in the Obama administration, and and really people could be for or against on this. I mean, a Christian could be for or against on something like that sure. because it. Um, but uh, right, the law didn't change. It just wasn't going to be as enforced. That's what's happening with the recess, essentially. The Edict of Worms is still there, but it's it's like a period in which, you know, we're not going to act on it. But that it didn't mean that there would be no point in the future where they could act on it. Um, so that's now Ferdinand's kind of saying, like, um, it's like, you know, um, if Eric Holder changes his mind and says, you know, we're going to start enforcing this again, that's mm-hmm. kind of the situation. So it's not like a new law is being... Mm-hmm enacted necessarily yeah in the in, in in the same way sure and but it has huge ramifications right i mean especially for the lutheran princes so i mean if in if in colorado you open a dispensary because colorado legalizes stuff because the federal government's not good and then all of a sudden the administration said we are going to start enforcing it you were heavily invested in that well the dispensary was lutheranism <laughs> right? and and so they had three years to be really investing in 
the structure of yeah. this new church, and now all of a sudden, um, it feels like everything's being pulled out from underneath them. And what do you do with your troops? Do you pull them from from the Eastern Front? Because you don't know if you're going to be attacked by, um, by the um, by the emperor's troops. I mean, literally, right? Yeah. I mean, so there's a, there's a lot going on here, and so you can understand while Philip has and the other ones are going to, and we we talk about Philip because he is the most famous of the and the one that kind of puts himself out out the front there. Any, I mean, he and uh, um, I mean, Hesse and Saxony are going to be kind of like the two leading territories. I mean, Elector John and and, and Philip are the two nominal political faces heads of product of emerging protestantism and so philip is going to leave this this uh diet uh with with hopes of somewhat of a reconciliation maybe not that's not the right word but um um a uh, being an ally with the swiss reformers right and he understands that in order to really do this, this is going to have to be a theological one. And so he organizes... And the, he seems to be leaning theologically more and more towards the Swiss, and I think partly because of the Swiss dynamic of the church-state. Right? It, okay. It's... it's um, you can be a more powerful prince with Reformed theology at this time sure. than Lutheran, but yes. Yeah. So he's going to set up what we're going to know as the Colloquy of Marburg, where you have the Wittenbergers and the, and the Swiss, and, and that will definitely have its own its own session coming up here. Maybe let's just, let's not do short shrift to Suleiman the Magnificent and uh, and what's going on in uh, in Vienna. So any initial thoughts on Mike, on what would be, if you were going to have, what do you call that, a, not a patronoma, like the great or the yeah, I don't know. The average, I, I, I'm not really like, I'm not really terrible at things, but I'm not really good at yeah. things. So I something like the mediocre or the app. That's probably what would be. You know what I would? I think I would want Wade the somewhat motivated. The somewhat motivated. Um, I, I now I haven't thought about that. I've I've thought about how your your reverend type title would be like. Uh, mine would be the the almost reverend or uh. the sort of reverend <laughs> would be the best way to. Uh, but you don't get magnificent <laughs> if you're bad. Nope, at, you at, do not. If you're bad at politics, right? Nope. And at, and at fighting. Yeah. And so yeah, tell me about him. Well, I mean, what we have is a. Uh, Besides his he- awesome headgear. You have, I mean, you have a waxing and waning of kind of um, Turkish, uh, of, of Turkish desires to push the boundaries, mm-hmm. right? So you'll have times at which uh, there's not a lot of um, offensive uh, measures being carried out, and you'll have other times where uh, there are. Under Suleiman, you're going to have this period um, in which there are going to be a number of gains um, made by the Turks um, through incursions into uh, what we would speak of as being Central Europe. Now, keep in mind, the Turks had essentially ended the Byzantine Empire, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, which is, uh, what was it, the Fourth Crusade where they, the, the West comes to, after that you have essentially the, uh, the Turks will win. And uh, which is big. Um, and so there's reason the Byzantine Empire was much more organized, wealthier, and seemingly stronger than, than what we think of in Europe today, uh, Europe at that time, um, in Western Europe. And uh, so there's a legitimate concern that if they could do that to, uh, if, if Constantinople is now Istanbul, right. that Rome or 
um, Paris, um, or you pick the German city. And they have, they're a naval power too. Right. right. And so Suleiman is going to be uh, well known for his military successes and the, um, the incursions he makes. And he's going to make it all the way to the gates of Vienna. It's unclear why he chose Vienna. Um, but it, it seems, I mean, a primary concern was him solidifying his hold on Hungary. Um, keep in mind, we talk about like Hungary, uh, Hungary, Austria, um, today as, as independent nations in Europe. This is all like this mishmash, which is sometimes bigger, sometimes smaller, of Habsburg territories, right? This is um, the predecessor, right? We get the remnants of this um, in World War One, even still, mm -hmm. where the Austro-Hungarian Empire is aligned with, uh, with Germany. Making it to Vienna uh, was kind of a do-or-die sort of thing. Um, obviously, this is making it in Germanic-speaking territories. Mm -hmm. um, this would be the gateway to Germany. Um, and Vienna was uh, a Habsburg city, right? It was... It's kind of a Rubicon sort of... Yeah, the day... Right. Yeah, yeah. Kind of a... This would be a big um, slap in the face uh, to the Habsburg family and to the Holy Roman Empire. And so you have this legitimate concern... Um, that a significant part of, of um, Europe might might fall under Islamic control. Luther will write pamphlets even. Um, what should you do if you find yourself mm -hmm. under um, Islam? And so this, uh, it for sure looks like uh, Suleiman should win. Uh, he has uh, upwards of 100,000 troops. I think it's something like 20,000 troops that they have to defend Vienna. There's going to be a siege, if I'm recalling, that lasts for about a month. And kind of, you could almost say miraculously from the, the uh, Vienna's perspective, um, they hold out, mm -hmm. right? They hold. Um, but it seemed, it seemed very unlikely that that, would, uh, that that would happen. I don't know if I hit everything you yeah, wanted. Good. But. Maybe just a couple things, um, you know, just to give you a feel for, for the, the Turkish control right now. Um, he has troops all the way in Baghdad, right? So this is a large territory. Um, this is this is you know you can think of previous Turkey uh, getting into Spain, controlling the Mediterranean at times, this kind of thing. And Suleiman is stretched thin, so eventually he is going to pull back from from uh, the eastern frontiers of 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 Western Europe and going to uh, concentrate more on what what would have been called Persia back then. So, um, but. The weather finally gets him, right? Which is why you kind of alluded to the almost miraculous, like all of a sudden he can't, uh, um, he can't, uh, if, correct me if I'm wrong, some of the, the larger uh, artillery is not going to be, be able to, to move in that into the mud and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, it, it was definitely... You know what I would have told him? Hmm. Whenever I was coaching ball, I would say there's two things you can't control. Umps or the weather, <laughs> you know, and the weather got him. And, um, but you're right in saying at that time, it's a David and Goliath kind of situation. And not that necessarily the Turks were like so much more, they got numbers. And right? they, and and they, they were in numbers. many ways more sophisticated. Yeah. Yeah. They got numbers, right? Um, 
you can and and this is sort of the story a kind of fascinating military history of the east and the west and and you know the, the persian empire versus the greeks or whatever and the Persians and, and maybe in certain circumstances, the Turks, they just got numbers. I mean, they just got numbers. Maybe even like think of Russia in World War II. They got, not everybody's got a gun, but they got a lot of people, right? Yeah. But this is a time perhaps when, when it came to um, technology that they're kind of equal, right? I mean, it's you, evening out. It's beginning yeah. to even out. And, but what, what were, at the time of the Crusades, you, you definitely had... I would say um, the Islamic world was more advanced. Mm-hmm. You then have kind of the Islamic world is still somewhat advancing, but really late 15th century and then throughout the 16th century, Europe is really, I mean, you're going to have things like gunpowder. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to have the import, the ideas that are being imported in Europe. Um improvements in navigation to where that you're gonna have the new world resources there so it's not like it that turkey was destined to be that the turks or the ottoman empire i should say was destined to be waning here they're both kind of ascendant but it it's kind of like if you look at like a a, a chart and there's like the u.s usa gdp and and we're like hey that looks good it's kind of growing and then you look at china <laughs> and it's like you're we're still doing better but they're really closing the gap, closing the gap yeah. um i think you know that's kind of what's happening yeah. And I, I just do the other thing. I, I don't know if I can speak to this with any uh, intelligence, but I wonder if you already have this situation where you do have more of an individualized setting in, in the West versus the East. And what I mean by that is collectivism versus individualism, even though that there wouldn't be like the, the modern equivalent of being an individual in Milwaukee in 2021 and Wittenberg in 15, whatever. But in order to to fight against the Turks, just think about how many people need to be convinced right. that this is in their best interest. And you have the beginnings of nation states. So beyond just the yeah. individualism, yeah. you have territories or sometimes large territories that yeah. are definitely thinking more and more about their specific concerns yeah. than thinking Europe-wide. Where Suleiman's kind of like... This is what we're going to do, right? So you do have, you know, is that to an advantage or a disadvantage? Well, you probably could argue both, right? I mean, the sheer numbers and the sheer will of the Turkish uh, threat uh, compared to a mismatch of fighting little principalities in the West. But it also means that Suleiman is maybe perhaps overextended, right? Why is he there? Because he can be, right? Yes, it's to his advantage to to have a foothold in 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 the west but how much does he really need right. to have i mean he's if we control greek you control right. half the mediterranean he's in croatia and if you look at a map of europe croatia is just right across the adriatic sea right. from italy right. and what's in italy rome right. right so and then down into baghdad you know east um, Which is interesting that you had brought up why Vienna, you know, and you start to look at this and you say you have a naval power. You have a, probably at least, you know, Charles V did have some victories. Why Frederick Barbarossa? I'm trying to remember all that that history, but um, you you kind of control or have at least a lot of influence in the Mediterranean. For sure. Why go north? Does he want to go north so that he can surround Venice? You know, I'm I'm be interested. We need an expert in military. Uh-huh. What? Why? Why not? Why not go? 
why not go through the boot of Italy up to, to Rome and take the, the head of the, I don't know. Anyway, uh, so um, we we're, we got a few more minutes here. We, we should talk about, Protestant. yeah, let's talk, let's talk terms. Like we throw around these terms and I'm sloppy with them, you know, like radical reformers, as we said before. Well, and as I, whenever you hear me say, that's a little bit anachronistic, right. means I used a term and then I realized it probably right. wasn't the best term. So either. reformed, evangelical, Catholic, Protestant, Lutheran, all of those meant something back then that really don't have an equivalent. They're not equal to what they are today when we use those terms. So maybe we should just, let's start with the easy one, Catholic, right? I mean, what do we mean by Catholic and and what do we mean by Roman Catholic? Yeah, and I, I mean, Roman Catholic then would have been completely unnecessary to sure. say um, because Catholicism was under the, the Pope. It is the church. Right. Universal church, period. And now we would talk about small C Catholicism as being the one true universal faith, big C Catholicism being the Roman Catholic Church, um, which is a denomination of Christianity, not the entirety of Christianity. Um and so the Lutheran reformers uh, will uh, insist that they are Catholic, right? The Augsburg mm-hmm. Confession will we'll speak about this, um, but small c Catholic. The original term, probably the best term for what the early Lutherans were would be, if we take the next one, would be yeah. evangelical. Sure. Which when you hear in America today usually means a conservative white voting black. Right? Right. You're, <laughs> you hear it on CNN or Fox News about 70% of the evangelical vote. And usually evangelical here also means like your non-denominational yeah. or Southern Baptist, you know, old school Bible believing, um, maybe even bordering on fundamentalist in the yeah. historical sense. And um, as a voting block, maybe conservative Methodist, conservative Lutherans, conservative, you name it. Right. Yeah. Um, whereas originally evangelical just comes from oi or good. Angelos, message or news, um, they were those who preached the good news. So the early term evangelical just was they are gospel preachers. This is how most early on, if they had a term for themselves, <clears throat> would have thought of themselves. And most Lutheran church signs will have, um, for instance, I go to Nain Evangelical mm-hmm. Lutheran Church. Mm-hmm. Lutheran, I'll throw it to you, Mike. So a pejorative term, yeah. right? The followers of a person, which if you look at a lot of heresies, we name it after the person, right? right? Which is why the Lutherans in turn would call the Roman Catholics papists. Yeah. So it will, and, and like very many pejorative terms become then the term for the thing, Methodists, um, Lutherans. Um, in our own day, um, people who talk about gay or queer rights, right? These sure. These are terms that the um, the community took that were at first pejorative, but now are you become a badge of honor. Colored pe- national national association, North American Association, of what for colored people, right? Yeah. That this is uh, a term that gets taken. Right. So, um, and I don't know when you you would know probably when when that when does that switch? I mean, it's a gradual, of course, but when does that switch occur? Right? Is it is it is it when we move outside of Germany. I mean, in a lot of ways, probably the same, where if I go to an evangelical church in Germany, I'm probably thinking 100 years ago, I'm thinking what we call Lutheran. But 100 years ago in America, we would have been identified as Lutheran, right? right? I think, I mean, you, you see it appear um, 
fairly early on uh, after Luther's death. I mean, it, it starts to appear. But yeah, in Germany, I mean, you had these territorial or state churches. So there was less, you know, you were either Catholic or you were part of the, the Protestant church, the Evangelische. Um, in Sweden, Scandinavia, you know, in general, you have the same situation. I think it definitely gets used today in America much more than it gets used in, in Europe. Yeah, and it is it is what it is. And I, I kind of get a little irritated when somebody says we need to drop this name or whatever. You know, you, you, you it, labels like that, you don't just get to choose. That's a very American thing to do. We get to choose our own label and our own brand. These things happen over decades, really centuries, and sometimes you're kind of stuck with them. And your best case is just to teach them as much as right. possible. And there are distinctives that come with it. So let's get to the. So we should do reform too, and then Protestant. Real quick, okay. reformed. Today, when we think of reformed, we're thinking of a specific person who follows Calvin's teachings. And we really, in our circles, and you can disagree we're with me if we this, want. Yeah. We use reformed very carelessly, um, where we often just mean non-Lutheran Protestants, and that's. Um, not usually a very fair way to use it um, because you have most American Protestants are not Reformed, they capital are, R, there are many. There are many, yeah. And so, uh, sorry, for, go ahead. Though. Yeah, and, and then, but to, to defend ourselves, sometimes I think those non-Lutheran Protestants, they don't know what day they're Reformed or what day they're Arminian. Right, <laughs> right, right. They don't have that, that strong, uh, uh, very dividing line between the two. So, but really, originally reform was we want to re- stay in the church and reform it as opposed to somebody who would leave it. So that leads us to this protest of the 1529 Diet of Spire. And those who protested were called then eventually Protestants. Protestants. And so the and this would have not probably included the Swiss reformers. Right? Yeah, the, the, the kind of the gateway in for them that they could maybe claim a place would be that you did have, for instance, some cities represented like Strasbourg. Strasbourg yeah. And Strasbourg really is at this point trying to straddle yeah. between yeah. Zurich and Wittenberg. Yeah. So I think you, you'd maybe have some openings there. I mean, Kelvin spends a lot of time in, in Strasbourg as well. Um, he has, you know, he excommunicates the city on Easter, which did, went over poorly. Um, so he has to leave Geneva. Um, he's in Strasbourg for a while, really influenced by Bootser, and then he'll go back. So so I would say some would say maybe some of those like southern yeah. German cities. Yeah. But, yeah, it's mostly going to be Lutherans. So the ir- irony is that Lutherans are the Protestants today. At least I would say, for me, Protestants are I, – I don't like to be called Protestants. Right. And I would say the same. And so that has flipped. Reformed has, you know, has flipped. It has. I don't like uh, to be called evangelical in the American sense. No, I don't either. Um, and yet, all of those words, I am, and, and they sometimes are, it's not good to be called Lutheran because no. some Lutherans have done some wacky stuff, and then we're in the news. And and even I'm afraid the next one is Christian because already when people think of Christian, they think of, well, I'm I'm not I'm not a denomination. I'm above that or whatever. But what I'm you really Christian. mean is a. Upper middle, class, uh, upper middle class white Republican, right? Yeah. You know? And so I'm afraid that there is no term except maybe like happy, happy, joy, joy church. What about Jesus um, follower? Yeah. Boy, I mean, there ain't there's nothing left, right? There's nothing <laughs> left. I always thought like, like you, re, if you really want to do it, just be like, I'm an evangelical Catholic and then totally confuse everybody. But that's actually what we are. Is evangelical. Yeah, Catholic. but the Anglicans are kind of taking that that's one right. too. That's right. So there, there's just no, there's just no way to, no way to do it. So, um, and it becomes, it becomes easy. The, the word Protestant in America becomes easy primarily in the military because you have, 
you're going to have a couple chaplains. You're going to have... Or in nursing homes. Yeah, you're going to have your Catholic chaplain, and you're going to have your Protestant chaplain, and you're going to have your Jewish chaplain, and that's what you get. Yeah. Sorry. And so, so you know, what I, it, it always struck me as interesting when, when I was in the parish, and you would get asked, and so I would do, at a couple nursing homes, you know, nursing home services, and it would be advertised as the Protestant nursing home service. That could mean you had an Assemblies of God person, a Presbyterian, a Lutheran, sometimes even a Unitarian thrown in <laughs> for good measure. I mean, that term has just become all-encompassing of anything right. that's not Catholic, right. Right. not Roman Catholic. Yeah. And uh, to, to the point that it's almost um, it's meaningless. useless. Yeah. Yeah, it's meaningless. All, most of these words in a lot of circumstances are meaningless. So when I teach, the, when I teach this stuff, my... my line of demarcation is um, historically, yes, Lutherans are the protest, right? And the reformed. We want to reform. Don't kick us out. But the the, the dividing line is for me is that Lutheran said, we are not going to throw out the history. We are going to say, we're going to maintain this small C Catholic sense. Um, We are not here to be a different sect. We have a historical uh, root. Um, We are trying to keep what is good and throw out what is bad instead of throwing out the baby with the bathwater, which I would argue to use my definition of Protestants that has happened much to the, much to the, um, uh, demise, I think of the Protestant world where you, uh, uh, coming into a postmodern world, um, that there was a lot of those things that were, were helpful. And what I mean by that is this, just think about this, the America and for, for a large portion of the history of what we would now call non-Lutheran Protestants have only known the modern period, right? Um, and, and that puts, puts those groups at a disadvantage when, when we move away from modernity, right? Um, and, and I've talked many times, especially in the context of, of, of worship, of uh, some anecdotal evidence of that, where some of my evangelical uh, pastor friends would say, waking up to the the realization that there's something more going on in Christianity than just a head thing, right? Or just a curved inward enthusiastic pietism thing. So um, that's why it's a big deal for us, especially, uh, at least I'll speak for myself, for me, that's a big deal for us. So this is the historical connection to the word Protestant, Protestantism. Um, are we going to get into the Protestant cut? No, we shouldn't oh. go there. <laughs> so anyway, I'll let you, uh, we're at time, so I'll let you finish, close us out here. Yeah, Ben just sent me a, um, a Bernie meme. Okay. Did you do, see it in the I will look to see Of uh, Bill Pelichek's head on the Bernie meme saying, um, Bill Belichick watching everyone realize Tom Brady was the system. I thought that was a pretty good one. I, uh, Not exactly happy, yeah. I, uh, that's a little off topic, but I hope everyone is enjoying the Bernie memes. I feel like that's been a nice lighthearted thing Sure. that, uh, that has come up. <clears throat> no, I would say um, just a couple reminders I'd have. Notice how difficult it is to say this is a religious thing, this is a political thing mm-hmm. at this time, and then realize – Right. Um, the past was not so different than our own day. Um, recognize uh, the number of issues and, and threats going on at once, uh, not so different from our own day. Um, recognize uh, the importance of Luther being Luther. 
and not trying to navigate these things um, and compromise theologically in order for things to work out, but being a consistent voice, um, you know, um, for what he holds. Uh, but also recognize that God in his wisdom can use even maneuvering such as took place um, for the good of his church so that we, uh, we are Protestants, um, even if we aren't Protestants. <coughs> uh, and, uh, and that happened through a bunch of messy stuff. Um, and, uh, and maybe, just maybe, the same God today uh, is at work for his church uh, through messy things as well. And uh, what we need with Luther to do is to be the clear voice of the gospel um, in the midst of it all as well. Excellent. And we'll be back probably for the Marburg Colloquy. And so and the, the connection there is uh, Philip of Hesse is already getting his, getting, you know, the, the, the wheels are grinding here uh, politically. And Luther is going to be brought in more than he was in the Diet of Spire. He's going to be brought into this at that, that colloquy. So we hope that you Mike. will come back. Who's going to win the Super Bowl? Ugh, I don't even care. I would, I would ask on one of our episodes, but they won't be out before. Um, you know what? I I, I kind of think the Buccaneers. That's what I think, too. I kind of think the Buccaneers. I think that their defense is very, very, very good. I think and they're that, getting healthy. I think that as well. Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, I... I actually am a Tom Brady fan just because I'm in Michigan. Yep. Um, you know, my wife does not like Tom Brady at all. Um, so I, I, I actually probably have not sat down and actually watched a Super Bowl, Super Bowl all the way through in probably maybe once in the last ten years. I usually don't oh, care really? about the game. It's usually bad football. So. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I was just curious. Yeah, I, I kind of think so. In the meanwhile, I mean, watch the Super Bowl if you want. Don't yeah. watch it. Um, I'm sure you're going to have some. The Berg House is the place for creative snacks, right? Yeah, we do do that. I'm guessing there will be some yes, bagel cheese, right. some maybe some wine. Cheese I, and I don't crackers. know. I, I will. I will. Let's just put it this way: snacks will be a priority. The football game may not even be Are you on. You going to smoke any meats? Uh, I haven't decided. I I I haven't thought that. That seems far. like a manly day. Yep. To... yep. The game will be. I should say the game will be on. Um, my wife will sit down and be like, yes, let's watch this. And five minutes later, she'll be doing something else. The kids won't care at all, except for the commercials. And um, I'll try to give it a good effort as a good American male, but then I'll probably get distracted. All right. Well, however you want to roll with it, uh, <laughs> and uh, whatever we face in our own day, like we might have, uh, the church may have seen in the 16th century, how about we uh, just uh, try to uh, let the bird fly?
began to fuss and I said, honey, honey, I don't care what the people are thinking. I'm not drunk. I'm just